Hey, Junior here. Thanks for hitting play. I bet you know what it's like. You're going throughout life, and then something big happens that shakes life up. Maybe it's a breakup, or maybe it's a job offer, or a job loss, or a health issue. What do we do when we run into that? Let's talk about it. See, we all like what I would call the predictable zone in life. Like the predictable zone, it's safe here. I know what to expect here. It's a familiar grocery store. It's a rerun of an old show. Uh, This is in the predictable zone. Like this is my small group. I know everybody. Or this is my church. This is my community. I don't want any changes. I always want things to stay the same. We like our predictable zone. And anything outside of our predictable zone makes us very uncomfortable. We stress out. It's it's. We don't want change. And so we spend a good amount of our lives showing up our life to make sure it's all in that predictable zone in life so that I can predict how my day is going to go. The problem is, is things happen that really stir this up. So you get a health scare or you have an unexpected pregnancy or COVID hits the house or there's a death. Or there's a job loss, or there's a job offer, or there's a breakup, or there's a new relationship. Something happens that really stirs this all up, and now nothing is predictable in life. And we've all been here, right? Everything in life just kind of feels up in the air. I don't know where my next paycheck is going to be. I don't know, you know, where I'm going to live. I don't know if I'm going to live. I don't know who I'm going to be with. We've all been there. And some of us walked in here today just like this. Some of us are headed into this. Some of us are heading out of this, but this is a reality of life. Maybe you walked into this room today with your life just feeling like this. Maybe you came to church because your life looks like this. Maybe you're terrified that your life will soon look like this, but this is part of life. And is it possible That God sometimes stirs your life up or allows your life to be stirred up on purpose. Today we trace the footsteps of Jesus and we find Jesus stirring the pot. This is fascinating and just what we need. We're going to be in Luke chapter 6 this morning. Luke chapter 6, really encourage you to grab a Bible. We've got Bibles in the chairs. Otherwise, I know a lot of people use phones, tablets. We have the bridge app with the Bible on there. We also have notes on the bridge app that you can take. Luke chapter 6 is where we're going to be. Let me pray. We'll jump right in. God, I thank you so much for your word. I ask that you just remind us right now of, of the weight of what we're doing right now as we gather together as a church body and open up your word. Probably one of the most important things we're going to be doing this week is with brothers and sisters worshiping you and opening up, corporately opening up, word from our dad. We, just, we thank you for the specialness of this time. God, I ask that you eliminate all distractions. We all have uh, things coming up today, this next week that uh, we're excited about, that we're worried about. Uh, God, may you just really dial us in, though, to this moment right here as we receive word from you. May your Holy Spirit be active, illuminating this text to us, but also convicting us, bringing situations to mind, and giving us vision for our lives. We need that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we enter into Luke chapter 6, we find ourselves in a fishing village on the north rim of the Sea of Galilee. It's a small town. 
But today we wonder if it's a ghost town. See, typically the streets are filled with men on their commute to work, some heading to fix roads in the area, some heading to their, set up their stand in the market, others heading to the docks. The women in town, they prop their doors open and they sweep the house dust into the street before heading to the market to pick up their food for tonight's meal. The laughter of children usually bounce off the limestone alleyways. It's a little village, but with a lot of energy. But not today. The cobblestone streets lie as a barren wasteland. The only sound that echoes off is a gentle breeze that rolls through this ghost-like town this morning. But then... The first door creaks open, and then another, followed by a few more. It's a late start to the day because it's Sabbath. The marketplace is closed. The boats are out of order. The tool belts lie in the entryways. Everything is closed except for the house of worship in the middle of town. And families all throughout the village, they wake up late. They grab their leftovers from their Sabbath meal the night before. They dress their children and They head into the empty streets as they walk toward worship. This is the staple of their culture, Sabbath. It is deeply ingrained in this society. It is beautiful. It is meaningful. It is important. It brings the community together. It brings families together. It brings God and his people together. Everyone looks forward to Sabbath. But on this particular Sabbath, Jesus is about to stir the pot and shake things up. It says in verse 6 of Luke chapter 6, It says, on another Sabbath, a Sabbath literally means stop, stop work, stop routines, stop. And we've spent weekends talking about Sabbath before and how we should observe Sabbath. It's a principle that God built into the universe. Uh, For six days, God created, during creation, he created, but on the seventh day, he stopped, he Sabbathed, and he asked us to do the same. It's an act of trust to just stop work and rest and worship. And the people of, of Israel, they took and they take this command very seriously, as should we. Jesus observed Sabbath. Jesus loved Sabbath. It was Jesus' idea. And there's a ton of data, by the way, that backs up the benefits of Sabbath. Like when you live your life with a, with a weekly finish line, you're far more efficient during those six days of the week. You're far more creative during those six days. You're far more rested during those six days. And so the Sabbath was designed as this precious gift from God to us. Communities love Sabbath. Like the excitement of a nice meal and then family time is like this gift from God each week. But some people came in, the religious legalists, and they ruined it. You know anyone who can ruin a good party? It's exactly what happened with the Sabbath. The religious legalists, they came in and they started getting really rigid about Sabbath and they started adding extra rules, not from the Bible, but extra rules. And some of these extra rules are pretty intense. Like, look, look at some of these extra rules that were added to the Sabbath during this time. One extra rule was you may not travel more than 1,500 steps. I walked to church this morning, so I'm already out of steps. 1,500 steps on Sabbath. Uh, you may not carry anything that weighs more than a dried fig. So I'm pretty sure this clicker that I have right now for this TV weighs more than a dried fig. So I'm already breaking two, two rules here. Uh, women may not wear jewelry because, why? Because it weighs more than a dried fig. I'm 0 for 3. If you throw an object in the air, you must catch it with the same hand. So again, it's just like, like just trying to, I don't know. Continues on. You may not bathe for fear of water running off you and and washing the floor, which would be work. I'm good on this one, though, because I just don't bathe. Uh, (laughs) 
One for four. One for five. So the Sabbath was no longer a blessing from God to, to celebrate and enjoy. Instead, because of, and there's a lot more added rules, because of these added rules, it became like a prison. Lots of pressure. Like, I can't mess up Sabbath. It, it became dreaded. And we call this legalism. Legalism is when you take a, an opinion and make it into a conviction. That's what legalism is. And this is what Jesus is going to go after. When you take an opinion... Make it a new conviction. Now, we all have opinions, right? Some of us have more opinions than others, but we all have opinions. We have political opinions. We have church opinions. We have work opinions, and we have sports opinions. And some of us in this room really love our opinions. And then others of us, some of us, feel like everyone should share the opinions that we have. Everyone needs to feel the same way that I feel about blank. It's legalism. We take our opinions, which are fine to have, but we make them a conviction. This is how it should be. This is how the religious legalists ruined Sabbath. Like going back to these extra rules that we had here earlier, I bet some of those extra rules started out as just harmless opinions. A few people got together and they harmlessly thought, you know what, we should really make sure that we take it easy on the Sabbath. So we're just gonna, we're gonna limit our steps to make sure we really take it easy. That's, that's a fantastic idea. That's a great idea. But then that opinion grew, and it grew into a strong one. Okay, shame on you for 1501 steps. Shame on you. Eventually it became a conviction. Everyone should be doing this, and it was forced on the people. This is how legalism works. And to be fair, legalism still exists today. We're guilty of it. Some common forms of legalism today in the church is uh, no tattoos. I don't like tattoos. I think they're dirty. I've gotten those emails before, by the way. And that's, okay. that's an okay opinion to have. You don't have to like tattoos. But I'm going to now take that opinion about tattoos and I'm going to make it into conviction. Now, tattooing is of the devil. It's wrong. I had a, I had a woman email me a four-page letter um, saying that God is going to punish my daughters because I have tattoos. That is good old legalism. Another form of legalism today in the church, and this is a, is a popular one in some church circles, not in our church circle, but in a lot of church circles, is verse-by-verse uh, -verse teaching is the only way that you can preach. And some people get really into this. Anytime there's a sermon, some people think it has to be verse-by-verse, -verse, one verse, and then the next verse. and then the next. You can't like jump around and, and take a topic and then see what Scripture says about that topic. Seriously, some Christians get really into this, usually want to be scholars. Personally, for me, I, I like verse-by-verse -verse teaching, mainly because verse-by-verse -verse teaching is just easier for me. But Jesus preached topically. Other sermons in Scripture are topical. We organize theology by topic. We call it systematic theology. There's nothing in Scripture that tells us you have to preach verse by verse and then verse and then the next verse. That's an okay opinion to have, but it is a rather ridiculous conviction. And some in here are going, people actually care if you go like verse by verse. But yeah, Christians get really bent out of shape about weird stuff. But we're all guilty of legalism. Another popular form of legalism today is masks, right? Everyone should share my opinion on masks. Everyone should share my opinion on vaccines. If it's not in the Bible and you're that opinionated, you're a legalist. And in a second, we're going to see Jesus hates that. So it's a beautiful Sabbath. It's a time to relax. It's a time to rest. It's a time to worship. It's a time to enjoy the day, hang out with family, take a nap, sit on the front porch, rest in God and worship. But all of these rules are getting in the way. And Jesus is walking to the worship center that morning or that day with all of this on his mind. He's going to stir the pot. It says he, he entered the synagogue 
and was teaching the synagogue. Most scholars believe the synagogue is in Capernaum. If you've gone to Israel um, with the bridge, we've been to the synagogue before. Uh, we're actually going back in November. So if you want to go to Israel in November, let me know. I'd love for you to come with. But this is where this story takes place uh, right down in here in the first century portion of the synagogue. Verse, uh, second part or third part of verse six. It says, and a man with a withered hand, a man whose right hand was withered. So there's a guy sitting in the synagogue, poor guy sitting there. He's got a rough life. He can't do much in this society. He can't make money. He can't cast nets with his hand. He, he can't work construction. He can't swing a hammer. Uh, during this time, it, it, if you don't work, you don't eat. Begging is his only option. There's no disability pay for this guy. He's seen as a liability for his family if he's lucky enough to have his family. And Luke says that his hand is withered. There's muscle atrophy on his hand. It's visibly smaller. It's visibly weaker. It's, it's a noticeable deformity or injury. And so there that day, he sits on the hard stone bench. He tends to tuck his hand into his other arm to hide it, to avoid the stares, to, to avoid the cheap sympathy, to avoid the, the questions from the kids. Today, he'd rather just keep to himself, get in and get out. He doesn't want to make eye contact. He just sits. And little does he know that Jesus is about to pull him on stage. Verse 7. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him, meaning Jesus, to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find reason to accuse him. So there they are. They're gathered for worship. You, you, you just imagine this. Scripture is being read. They're singing to God. This is all about God. But what are the scribes and the Pharisees focused on? Critiquing. You know anyone like that? Or maybe you are like that? I can be like that. Just walk around critiquing. I'm not pitching in. I'm not helping. I'm not serving. I'm not loving. I'm not caring. I'm just here to critique. The scribes and the Pharisees there that day on Sabbath. They literally have God in their midst as they worship and read together. What an incredible thing. How many people can say, I went to worship and God was there in the flesh? But these scribes and Pharisees can't enjoy that. They can't even participate because they're there to just pick everything apart. Because Jesus has become more popular than they have. So their way of feeling better is let's just critique him. It'll make us feel smarter. It'll make us feel like we're a little bit better if we find some faults of his. And so there they sit, waiting for Jesus to do something he's done before, break a Sabbath rule. See, this is not Jesus' first rodeo. Jesus has a reputation during this time. He was known to walk into synagogues and break a Sabbath rule, heal on the Sabbath, tick off the Sabbath leaders, and then leave. He does this on purpose. He's stirring the pot. He could have healed those people on, the, on other days and other places, but he's intentionally walking into, into the synagogue on Sabbath to heal. When you think about it, this man sitting there on, on, the, on the bench... Jesus has seen this man before. This is Capernaum. This is a small little town. Jesus has walked by this guy before. Jesus has seen this guy begging before. Jesus has seen him around. And Jesus could have easily waited until later to heal this man. Jesus could have easily, on the way out of worship that day, gone up to the guy and go, Psst, come on over here. Let, let, let me fix your hand for you real quick. Nobody will see. Jesus could have easily done that, but he's not. Instead, he wants to stir the pot intentionally. Verse 8. But Jesus knew their thoughts. And he said to the man with a withered hand, come and stand here. And the man rose and stood there. 
Again, to the religious leaders, this is their day. This is their rules. This is their turf. This is what they've always done. And you dare not mess with it. You dare not change it. And Jesus here in verse 8, he's picking a fight. I know that sounds sacrilegious, but it's true. Jesus is picking a fight. He's taking a bat to the hornet's nest publicly. This is bold. This is bolder than driving my wife to a different grocery store. Verse 9. And Jesus said to him, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or to destroy it. So there were rules on what health care you could do on the Sabbath. Uh, you could deliver a baby on the Sabbath. Uh, if there's a traumatic accident in town, um, you could help in that traumatic accident. But you could not do physical therapy on the Sabbath. If you broke your arm, you're going to have to wait until the next day. So there's lots of different health care rules. Many of them extra, some of them were biblical, but many of them were extra rules. And Jesus does something that he, he often does, and Jesus is so good at this. Jesus zooms out, and he simplifies the issue. He gets up, and this is so brilliant. He gets up, and he says, can I do good on Sabbath or not? Plain and simple. Can I do good on Sabbath or not? To which the critics in the corner are thinking, well, you know, it's, it's not that simple. It's more complex than that. It kind of depends on what we're talking about here. And Jesus goes, no, 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 come on, come on. You made it more complex. It is simple. Can I do good on Sabbath or not? An awkward silence falls in the room. The man with the withered hand stands there looking down. This is uncomfortable. He's not wanting to make eye contact with anybody. He doesn't want this conflict. Yet Jesus stands next to him, staring at the critics in the corner, not breaking eye contact, waiting for an answer that will never come. Verse 10 says, after looking around at them all, he said to them, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. Gasps echo off the stone wall as onlookers watch a shriveled, atrophied hand unfold and grow in strength. The man smiles with a half laugh and then begins to weep with joy. There's shock and there's wonder in the room. But there's also tension Tension that Jesus meant to create. It's awkward. There's conflict between the rabbi on stage and the synagogue leaders in the back. It's uncomfortable. The people don't know what to do, what to think. They just, they just watched the Sabbath rule broken. What do they do with this? Is this okay? Like, we never got the answer from the religious, from the religious crew. But here's a guy up on stage with his hand Restored, His life is back. He can go to work tomorrow. His family life is completely changed. This is incredible. But it happened on Sabbath. Is the rabbi right? Are the religious leaders right? Like, what do we do with this? Look at the religious leaders' response to the stirred pot. Verse 11. But they were filled with fury and discussed with another what they might do to Jesus. When you mess with what has been, you get anger. Stir the pot, you get backlash. It's like one of my favorite quotes is by uh, Woodrow Wilson. He said, if you want to make enemies, try to change something. It is so true. The quickest way to take off the majority is change something. People hate change. My oldest daughter hates any change. She's like an old soul in an eight-year-old body. She just hates anything new. She's still upset that we moved two years ago. Still upset about it. Like, never mind that our new house gave her and her sisters, like, like a loft or the bathroom. Like the girls have their own like girl apartment upstairs. It's like this girl dream upstairs. But no, it's different than what it was. Like we walk by our old house, which is like a few blocks away, and she'll walk by and she'll say, oh, those were the good old days. <laughs> How old are you? 
When she was five, we, uh, we replaced our couch, and she boycotted the new couch. She wouldn't even sit on it for months. She's five years old. What, what is wrong with you? Like She's going to be a nightmare for her pastor one day. We're, we're funny creatures. We hate. We hate change. And so much so that uh, churches will die out before they change. I've seen them. I've been invited to, to speak at those churches and sometimes do, sometimes do like a little advisory thing for a church that's, that's not doing well. And they're about to close their doors and they'll ask, you know, what do we do? Our seats are, are emptying. We're going to close the doors soon. What do we do? I'll say, well, you know, you should like think about doing this. Change the service up this way. Consider getting rid of this. You should do that. And they'll go, oh, no, we can't do that. It's not how we've always done things. Okay, but how you've always done things is why you're about to close your doors. This happens with camps. This happens with organizations. It happens with businesses. We will hold on to that which is killing us for the sake of tradition. As the boat sinks, instead of dropping the traditions so that you can swim, we're just going to hold on to these and die with them. This was the synagogue leaders. Jesus is trying to show them something. Their made-up Sabbath rules, not biblical Sabbath rules, their made-up Sabbath rules were killing Sabbath. Their critical nature was hurting their community. And Jesus is stirring the pot in an attempt to, to get them to let go of some things, things that are killing them. But we can't let go of our traditions. So in verse 11, they're just going to be hurt, and they're going to be angry. Never mind that they got to worship with God in their midst. Never mind that they got to witness a man's life forever changed along with his family. Never mind what God is trying to show them. Never mind any of that. The religious leaders, they like their predictable Sabbaths. They like their predictable services. They like their predictable traditions. And Jesus, like any good leader, walks in, stirs the pot. And often he does that with our lives, doesn't he? Every Tuesday uh, before staff meeting, our staff, we all get together in the lobby out there. And we grab the prayer requests that many of you fill out. And uh, we pray over those prayer requests. And as we pray for them, I'm just, I, I realized this last week, it was just filled with story after story, after story of a stirred life, a health issue, a marriage issue, a job issue. Why does God allow our lives to be stirred sometimes? Even more than that, sometimes it seems like God is trying to stir our lives to some things. Why? Three reasons Jesus stirs the pot. This is not an exhaustive list, by the way. Um, this is just three reasons from the text, and, uh, and some of these might not feel great, but we have to go here. One of the reasons that Jesus allows the pot of our lives to be stirred sometimes is to reveal sin. That's why Jesus is stirring the pot in this text. There's sin. There's legalism. There's these extra-biblical opinions being forced on people, and it was hurting, hurting the community and killing Sabbath. I think of it like, uh, I think of it like a, a fish tank. This fish tank up here looks clean, right? But I bet that if I were to reach into this fish tank and, uh, and stir it, even maybe even get my fingers down into the, the pebbles and stir this fish tank, what would happen? There'd be this cloud afterwards, this cloud of junk and algae and fish waste. There'd be no visibility. My, my stirring revealed all of this hidden gunk that had kind of settled in in the bottom. This is a lot of our lives. We go throughout life and we get pretty good at hiding sin. We get pretty good at hiding the junk in our lives. So I can hide my lack of patience 
from you. I can hide my attitude from you. I can hide my selfishness from you. I can even hide my critical nature from you. But when my life gets stirred up, that's when the true colors show, don't they? The, the junk in my life is revealed. And sometimes, not always, but sometimes Jesus stirs the pot to say, hey, look at all of this stuff that is surfacing in your life right now. Look at the anger that is surfacing in your life. Look at the victimization that is surfacing in your life. Look at the pity party that is surfacing in your life. Look at the, the critical spirit. Look at all this. This is killing you. And some of us have stories of feeling like, you know, like, oh, man, my marriage was doing just fine until we had this financial uh, struggle and it stirred up our lives. And, and then all of a sudden, like, all of our marriage problems began popping up from this financial struggle. Well, it wasn't the financial struggle that ruined your marriage. Your financial struggle just surfaced what was already there. Some of us have stories of going throughout life and, and feeling like we're doing fine and then and we lost a job and then we got angry or, or we got jealous of other people with jobs. I, I remember I grew up um, with this, uh, knowing this guy who he lost his job. He worked for like Pepsi or something. He lost his job and even a decade later he was still complaining about that job that he had lost 10, 15 years ago. Wasn't that job loss that ruined your life? That job loss just surfaced some things that you had going on, some gunk in your life. See, just like in this text, Jesus stirs the pot in the synagogue. What surfaced? The leader's anger, their fury, and their critical natures. And some of our lives are sometimes that. Sometimes Jesus stirs the pot to reveal some of that sin that we've been hiding. Uh, second reason that Jesus stirs the pot is to reveal dependence. So in this text, Jesus revealed what the synagogue leaders were really dependent on, their Sabbath rules. They liked their Sabbath rules. In the same way, anytime our life becomes unpredictable, we lose a job, uh, there's a breakup, there's a health issue, we run to what we're dependent on. This is why during hard economic times, alcohol sales go up. People depend on alcohol for an escape when life gets difficult. During a breakup, sometimes people run to like a, a rebound relationship. Um, during a job loss, some people will, like run to comfort food. Jesus often stirs the pot to reveal, what are you running to? What are you dependent on? Are we running to him at all? See, when we lose a job or when we go through a breakup or when we experience a health issue, do we right away think, man, I just need to go to God. I, I need to worship God. I need, I, need, I need more of God right now. Or do we run to something or someone else? The third reason that Jesus will often allow the pot of our lives to be stirred is to reveal direction. Jesus wanted to reveal a direction for the synagogues. Stop with the added rules. He also wanted to reveal a direction for them to worship. Hey, God is here. God is among us. When Jesus stirs the pot in our life, he's often pointing us in a different direction. It's like in college, I, I, uh, I went scuba diving in the Florida Keys. Had a blast. Last day, the, the waters were, uh, were treacherous, though. Big waves. But it was like the last day of, of, uh, of diving, and so it was like, no, we're not going to not go out. So we went out a few miles off coast, and it was a bumpy ride getting out there. I don't get seasick, but I was getting seasick because it was so bumpy. Jump in the water, and I, no joke, I got seasick while diving. You know, underwater, just like bobbing around, being thrown all around. So I was like getting like seasick. under. It was absolutely terrible. I remember taking my, uh, my regulator out underwater and puking. It was just the worst feeling in the world. And when I surfaced, the waves had pushed me far from the boat. It was getting pretty dangerous. So we climbed back in the boat, and we decided, like, let's plan B it. We found this little cove. 
with calmer waters, like protected by, by an area. And uh, so we went to the cove and we just jumped in there. So glad that we did because that little cove had become like the sanctuary for, for not just our, us divers, but all this like wildlife. It was calmer waters. We saw everything. It was an unreal experience. The stirring of the ocean took us a totally different direction. And I'm really glad it did. God often does that in us. He stirs our life up and it hurts. It's, it's uncomfortable and it's scary and it makes us sick. But ultimately, he's bringing us somewhere if we go with him. See, God stirring our life has the potential to be this major moment in our life. I would argue even a precious moment. And I know that sounds like offensive. It's like, man, I'm hurting right now. You're saying this is precious. It can be. But you will miss it. You will waste the time. You will waste the, the pain. You will waste the story. You will waste God doing something in you if you don't respond to the stirring well. So how do we respond? How do we not waste this? How do we take full advantage of God stirring our lives? Well, I'm glad you asked. When God stirs your life, number one, worship through it. Worship through it. I know it's the last thing you feel like. When you lose your job, you lose a loved one. Health is bad. Kind of confused as to what to do next. It's hard not to get angry. Even get angry with God. And the last thing you feel like is going to church with all these smiling people and sing a bunch of uppity songs. Last thing you feel like, I totally get it. I bet the man with the withered hand that morning, he woke up, he rolled out of bed. I bet he just felt like laying there all day. His life is depressing. He gets up. Even making the bed is hard one-handed. He heads to the kitchen. There's not much there. He can't work. He sits down at his rickety table. He stares at a plate with not much, if anything, on it. He doesn't want to go to worship today. Part of him is bothered that God even allowed this to happen to him. What's the point? Yet what was on the line that day had he skipped worship? Instead, he tucked his, his arm, he walked into worship, lifted his withered hand in worship, sang, even though he didn't feel like it. And some of the most meaningful worship you will ever experience is when life is stirred up. Some of the most meaningful worship you will ever experience is when life is unpredictable, when it's in the pain and when it's in the confusion. Worship can be this anchor. It reminds your heart. It reminds your soul. Yeah, my life is unpredictable right now, but I worship the God who was and is and is to come. The God who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And my trust is in him. Sometimes the best anecdote for pain and confusion is surrender and worship. Like, you think of, of Randy. You know, we, we prayed for uh, him last week during worship. Uh, his wife, about a year ago, he lost his wife. Sudden, sudden tragedy. And she passed in the early hours Sunday morning in a hospital up in Milwaukee. 2 a.m., he's weeping over his wife in the hospital. A few hours later, he's in the front row in church, hands raised and worshiping. I'd said to him, I was like, man, I, don't, I, I, could not have, I couldn't have done that. Why would you do that? And he said, who else could I be around? I have to be around family. And I want to worship here while she worships there. Because it's the only thing that makes sense right now. When life is stirred, worship is like this oasis of sense. 
Second way to leverage or take full advantage of God stirring in your life is embrace the discomfort. When the pot of your life is stirred, at least for me, I always want to retreat. I want to draw inward. It's part of my introvertedness, right? I want to seclude myself. I want to hide away, and I want to draw in. Jesus teaches here, no, 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 no. Lean into the discomfort. Like in this text, what did Jesus make the poor guy do with the withered hand? Hey, why don't you come up on stage and stand up in front of everyone? Be an illustration right in the middle of an argument between Jesus and the religious leaders. That is terribly uncomfortable. But he got up. He didn't run out. He got up and he stood there. Often it's in the discomfort that God meets us. I was struck, I was reading um, through Psalms uh, a couple weeks ago, and I was just struck by Psalm 23.5. I've, I've read that verse um, many times, but something new hit me in that verse. Psalm 23.5 says, You set a table before me in the presence of my enemies. In the presence of my enemies. God doesn't set a table for us in a safe castle, locked away, away from all pain and all opposition. No, God sets a table right in the discomfort, because that's where he wants to sit with us. It's where God wants to meet you in the discomfort. So embrace the discomfort. Don't run away from the table that he has set. Then number three, look for revelation. Look for revelation. So when the pot of your life gets stirred, life is unpredictable. Worship through it. Lean into the discomfort. Don't run away. Lean into the discomfort. And look for what God is revealing. Jesus revealed some important things to the synagogue leaders that day. And it was completely missed by the religious leaders. They weren't looking for revelation. They were just angry that it happened. In the same way, that event that stirred the pot of your life, that breakup, that job loss, that sickness, that health issue, that event will simply be a dark spot in your life. A spot you hate talking about or thinking about. It'll be a source of anger and resentment. Unless you look for what God might be revealing through it. This is why I believe that our prayer, a believer's prayer, the repeated prayer that we should always pray, is just, God, teach me. I think we should all wake up every morning and that would just be our prayer. God, will you just teach me? I don't know what to say. Will you just teach me? Teach me what you want. Will you just teach me what you're doing? Will you just teach me where we're going? Will you just teach me what you're revealing to me? Will you just teach me? That's a request that God will never turn down. I know, we, I know we don't always like it, but this is what God does. He stirs the pot of our lives. He stirred human history with a cross, and then he punctuated it with an empty tomb. And that is what we hold on to. This is, this is why we trust in the stir. Because you might leave today and might be staring at a cross. You might leave today and might be staring at a, a dead career, a dead marriage, a dead end. But we worship a God who turns death to life, and we hold on to that. I know you might be going through it. Like I said, I see it on the prayer request card each week. A lot of us are going through it. News from the doctor just turned your life upside down. The loss of a loved one just got you spinning. Your, your child is breaking your heart. The breakup has sent you reeling. 
But can you in the pain, through the confusion, can you worship harder, embrace the discomfort, and trust that God's doing something? It's that old cliche where we put a period, God puts a comma, and he says, I am not done. You might think it's done. I am not done. Can you hold on to that? Thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, would you give it a share? It goes a long way. Also, don't forget to subscribe if you haven't yet. Hey, God has something for you today. Go after it. Blessings. Blessings.